This is the Carpe Diem Gamecast interview series. Joining us today, Mark Hogue. Hello there, this is Dan Worrell from CarpeGM.net. You are listening to the Carpe GM interview series, where we discuss the gaming hobby and geek culture with those who helped to create it. I was able to sit down for a fantastic chat with Mark Hogue. Mark's been doing great work in Boulder, Colorado, right on the front lines of the hobby. For nearly two decades, he's ran a program that uh, utilizes his game, Adventure Quest, a live-action role-playing game, to nurture imagination, bolster self-esteem, and introduce uh, new people to the hobby. So, without further ado... Here's the man of the hour, Mark Hogue. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining me. I'm here with founder and director of Renaissance Adventures, Mark Hogue. Mark, welcome. Thank you, Dan. Thank you very much. Um, Mark, I like to uh, start all the interviews off with um, finding out what's on your geek card. You know, what? Uh, where you been? What have you been doing? What makes you the geek you are today? Thank you. Um, let's see. I guess... Uh, <laughs> I guess the geek factor for me has always been the uh, fantasy genre. Okay. I love Tolkien and uh, a lot of different fantasy authors, and I've always been into the fantasy role-playing games, tabletop, and uh, over the last couple decades, the fantasy LARPing. Um, I'd say that's the main uh, geek factor for me. All right. Um, what uh, What kind of games have you been playing? Um, you know, yeah, over the over the years, I've played a lot of different role-playing games. Um, started off with D&D in, uh, when I was a teenager in the uh, late 70s, and uh, a friend of mine introduced that to me, and I could hardly sleep for like the next three months. My <laughs> dreams were so vivid that, uh, you know, and, and uh, it, it really inspired me and was an amazing uh, social and creative outlet for me as a teen. Um, and then in my 20s, I uh, played a lot of different games, um, you know, GURPS and uh, Rifts and Cyberpunk and, you know, um, all the, a lot of different kinds of things. I experimented and played around. Uh, and I guess in the last five years or so, it's been more Pathfinder. Um, I've tried out all the all the different editions of D and D and whatnot. Um, uh, uh, let me cut in here. Have you tried the D and D next? The D and D next. The, the play uh, test. Playtest? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I I started exploring the playtest. I went to a, a little gathering at a game store, and um, I I thought it was an improvement, but it, I wasn't really excited about it. Okay. And so I've I've just I just kind of let it go, and once it comes out, I will examine it in more detail. Um, I also the the whole feedback process did not excite me as well. Like I sent all this feedback to the company, you know, with their whole interview. You know, they have this online interview process, right. suggestions, but. Um, but there's no response, of course. Right. You know, no no one's contacting you and saying, "Hey, that's a great idea," or you know, "Can you explain more about this?" And I just didn't have the trust that my feedback wasn't just disappearing into the vacuum. You weren't speaking into a black hole. Yeah, and and you know, I I've been very focused in the last couple years on translating the Adventure Quest live-action role-playing game into a tabletop role-playing game okay. um, so that, you know, we can seamlessly go back and forth. You know, you can be playing, uh, you know, a tabletop and then grab your foam swasher swords and head out into the backyard and sword fight, or you can be out camping in a park, LARPing, and the rainstorm comes in, you know, dive into the tents and pull out the dice, you know. And so my, my passion and my interest over the last few years has been more about my own tabletop system, and um, I just 
haven't put a lot of time and energy into the newest of the RPGs that have come out. That's fine. Um, go ahead. Tell me about Adventure Quest. All right. Well, Adventure Quest, uh, I started that in 1995 as a uh, live-action role-playing game with kids and teens in Boulder, Colorado. Um, and for about five years prior to that, I had been experimenting with uh, doing LARPs with kids on the East Coast as part of a nonprofit arts foundation. And I found that kids are just so excited to LARP. Oh, yeah. And it, yeah, and it's such an amazing um, venue for engaging them and teaching almost anything. Um, so, you know, after directing this creative arts camp on the East Coast, I moved to Boulder in 1995 and started my company, um, which at the, at the time I called it, I called my company Adventure Quest back in 1995 until I realized there are just a lot of companies out there called Adventure Quest. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, uh, I switched that name to Renaissance Adventures, but the, the, the game name itself stuck. Um, but the LARP is, ha, has been the main focus of our company um, for these 17 or so years. And it's only recently in the last, uh, since I guess 2009, uh, that we have realized we really want a tabletop version of this and that there would be a seamless transition between the two. So it, it's an interesting game system because even though we've created it with kids in mind and teens in mind, right. we it actually, it's not something that, you know, a 10-year-old is going to pick up the book and figure out how to do it on their own, necessarily. It's got a level of depth and complexity to it because, you know, we are the adult leaders uh, leading the game with the kids. And we, un unlike a lot of LARPs, um, do you know much about LARPs, Dan? I've done Vampire and stuff like that a couple of times, but uh, enough to get the concept. So um, similar to Vampire or um, Nero, which is a, a pretty popular national LARP, most LARPs are uh, uh, kind of a wide open environment where you can come and go, uh, explore on your own, etc. It's not, well, I guess what I should say is the way we've designed our LARP is it's more like a tabletop session where you've got one GM and a small group of players. Right. At our at our kids program in the summer, we'll have eighty, ninety, a hundred kids. Wow! But they're all they're all divided up into small groups of uh, six kids um, of similar age group, and each of those groups of six is led by a quest leader who's a storyteller, actor, um, teacher, and you know game master. So because you've got that adult there leading the game. You know, kids don't need to don't have to know all the different intricacies of all the powers, all the paths, and all of that. And so we we catered our game to their desire for uh, customizing their character with as much freedom as they want. Right. So even though we do this with kids and youth, if an adult picks up this game book, they'll they'll probably say, "Wow, this is." something really exciting and interesting, and I'd like to play this. <laughs> now, now, you've given me the um, the playtest of Adventure Quest. Right, and, the, the uh, first, yeah. I was quite surprised with how deep the system was. The, uh, the PDF that you gave me is 170 pages, and you've got quite a bit of art in there and whatnot. It all looks really good, but um, as far as the system itself, the bare-bones system... Uh, you want to talk about the mechanics of that a little bit? Maybe um, show some diversity? Uh, yeah. Um, what do you mean by show some diversity? I mean, what can you do inside Adventure Quest? Oh, as a player. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, first off, the fantasy world setting that we've created includes an almost unlimited number of player races, meaning um, toss out... Uh, the name of a favorite animal. Favorite animal, uh, tiger. Tiger. You can play a tiger lord here. It's a we we call that racial type a totemic. You know, you've got tiger fur, tiger head. You've got hands that can wield weapons, or cast magic spells. You can speak all of that, and um, you would have totemic starting powers. Every totemic, every um, animal person, starts out with animal speech with their species, meaning you meet up, you know, you see another tiger, lion, jaguar, you can 
communicate with them. Now, that animal is not more intelligent than a normal animal, for example, but it would understand you. Right. You would also start with the um, totemic starting power of animal friend with your species. So you look into the eyes of that tiger and it instantly recognizes, hey, this is my bro. <laughs> no problem here. <laughs> you know. But, uh, you know, we've got um, fey as a racial type, so any kind of fey almost, leprechaun, right. bee, elf, etc. Humanoids, of course, uh, monstrous, you know, you want to play a gargoyle or a vampire or goblin, ogre, troll, etc. And then the fifth racial type is elemental, which is a creature that is aligned with uh, one of the elements, such as a fire hawk or an ice lizard or a uh, you know starlight. So literally, bear. it encompasses just about any fascination that um, a kid may have with a specific animal, yeah. element, anything like that, and creates a playable character, which you then turn into an archetype that they can adventure through your games with. Yes. And so we found when we playtest this with adults that that's a very exciting aspect. If you want to play a treant, you know, or a Brorian bear person, you've got that opportunity. So that's the racial thing. And, and we, we've, we've done, you know, we've kept the, the racial powers um, there's there's a simple aspect, which is you just get one or two powers automatically with your race, and then if you want to go in-depth, there's racial powers to learn, racial advantages, racial disadvantages, things like that. And um, being a, a LARP, how do you go about leveling up and gaining those abilities or um, powers? Again, we try to, we've tried to keep this game as simple as possible while keeping the um, freedom and empowerment of customizing your character. So basically, one game session, you earn one experience point. Okay. And that one experience point can learn you the first or second rank in most powers. Uh, first rank, we call apprentice. Second rank, we call skilled. If you want to go on to the third rank, expert, that's going to cost two experience points. If you want to become a master in the power, it's going to cost an additional four. And the fifth, uh, and final rank is Grandmaster. That would cost an additional eight. So it's a one, one, two, four, eight experience point progression for leveling up in one particular power. Now, the game system can be played as a skill-based system, similar to GURPS, or as a path-based system. And we've divided our powers into six core paths. So once you choose your race, you choose your archetype path. However... There's no limitations on how many paths you're learning from. So there's the warrior, the explorer, which is more of the rogue scout path, the wizard, the mystic, which is more of the healing and nature-oriented, right. the bard, which has to do more with tests of will and speechcraft and performance, and the sixth path is the artisan. They are more of the crafter, alchemist, smith, uh, tinkerer, that kind of thing. Now, the... Uh, going through the, the, the paths. Yeah. Uh, you've got the warrior, you've got the explorer, you've got the wizard, you've got the mystic, you've got the bard. All of those are kind of stereotypical adventuring archetypes. Yeah. Now, the artisan, which is the craftsman, is usually someone you'll encounter in a town or a village or something along those lines. How does the artisan yeah. help the warrior do what he does in the middle of an adventure? Yeah, so... Um, it's interesting. We've got kids who are really into the artisan path because they delve into, let's say, weaponsmithing, armorsmithing. They can craft, uh, like you say, you know, really high-end masterwork right. items. They they gain um, once you choose your path, and um, anyone can learn the first five of the core powers of artisan. Um, but if you focus on artisan, you can learn more. Uh, powerful abilities, for example, how to break an enemy's weapon. Uh -huh. Or, you know, the artisan is also more of our sage path. So they learn a lot of knowledge that can be helpful. It's also, uh, you know, in the, in the from, from the artisan, you can become one of the secret paths of tinker engineer to uh, craft gnomish inventions or tinker things really swiftly on the battle. So um, if you've got, 
your utility kit, you just do in the LARP, you just do a 10 count of tinkering um, to craft some item that can be very useful in the battle, like uh, a chemical explosive. Or <laughs> that didn't sound very fantasy oriented, but it's you know, we, we we don't have guns, but we do have what we call boom bombs, which are these little chemical contraptions, and uh, the tinkerer can uh, create clockwork and springs and uh, different kinds of traps and okay. whatnot. Um, the alchemist also um, has a battle alchemy skill where basically uh, there's there's a way to craft a whole bunch of different things if they take a 10 count or really quickly on the battle they can use one specific battle alchemy and you know potions are one thing which you drink but there's also dusts that you throw and gases that you throw to paralyze or sleep an opponent so the alchemist and the tinker actually have applications in battle and of course they're very useful when the questers need uh, creative solutions to dilemmas because kinds of things that they can craft can be useful in different situations. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. <clears throat> also, the uh, the Forge Master is one of the secret paths, and um, you know they can specialize in shattering blades or sharpening blades to do a certain specific uh, effect. And uh, the Jack of All Trades is just really knowledgeable in many different lores and professions. And then the final uh, secret path of the artisan is the Mercanteer, who is a merchant um, and, you know, they've got connections all over the world, and they've got access to rare goods, rare prices, and, um, you know, a lot of them have social skills for speechcraft and persuasion and things like that. Neat. Now, again, I mentioned the playtest. Yeah. The, um, it took me all of five minutes to get through the battle rules. <laughs> it is a simple, simple combat system. But it's it's robust. It 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 really covers a lot of bases. What really intrigued me uh, is that this is a playtest, and this is a completely one hundred percent ready to play game that you sent me. And it's not just something that you've just come up with. This has been around since ninety five. You said you started working on this. Yeah, we've we've had literally thousands of children and teens giving us feedback and suggestions on the game and literally hundreds of adult quest leaders um, who have played it, worked, played it with you know, dozens or hundreds of uh, groups and given us feedback. So this game system, the live action role-playing game system, the LARP, has been tweaked and revised over the years, over 17 years. So it's a very solid game system. Yeah, what's not quite as solid is our tabletop version because that's only been play tested the last few years, and so we're still tweaking that. You know, a lot more than LARP. The you know what what you have seen in that PDF is you know our artistic you know laid out awesomeness that has <laughs> been played for quite a long time. Right. It's just new for us to lay it. You know, to to create a really professional product with awesome artwork and, and, and it looks layout really, and all of that. looks really good. Yeah. Now, I, I got two things I want to mention on what you just said there. Number one is that because of the nature of the system, and I'm a firm believer, if you've ever listened to my show, I'm a firm believer that system matters yes. as far as uh, the, the flavor of, of play and uh, the execution of storytelling. Um, in, the, in the interest of the flavor of the game that you're trying to play here, I personally, and again, I, I haven't uh, been role-playing this for 12 years, but I don't see a whole lot of discrepancy between the LARP, or the LARP rules and the tabletop game battles. I can see where you might need to tweak them a little bit just because of the change of medium, but uh, it looks like it'll transfer over really well to me. Now, um, did we send you our translation guide from LARP to tabletop? So I think I just I think you just have the PDF I, of our LARP gamebook, right? I just have the PDF of the LARP gamebook, but okay. the I can see how the system can transfer right over to to a tabletop. I don't know what you've done, what you've changed, but I could totally turn this into a tabletop myself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, basically, thank you for that, by the way. Um, yeah, the the uh, the tabletop. I mean, we've we, again we've tried to keep it simple, so. With the tabletop, we use die six. Right. I saw Each that on the, uh, on the uh, 
Kickstarter page there. So if you've got, um, you know, rank three in Roguecraft, um, you roll that die six, you add three, and that is, um, you know, that was your attempt to pick that lock or disarm that trap. Right. And uh, there's different target numbers for the challenge level of, you know, how difficult is that lock to do. In combat, you roll that die six, you add your ranks in your battle skill, whether it's melee or archery or brawling or a special combat feat that you're attempting to do. The defender has to equal um, or beat the attacker's roll with their defense roll, which is the die six plus their, uh, their defense skill. Right. So we keep it really, really simple. And of course, there's combat modifiers. You know, if there's more opponents against, you know, several opponents against one, or someone's using a high-end masterwork blade and things like that that can add plus one, plus two. But yeah, basically, um, it's a very, very simple uh, translation in that sense. Um, and I should have sent you our uh, rough draft of the tabletop translation guide. I apologize for that. Um, but that just clarifies, um, you know, how you do initiative and attack and defense, um, movement for those who want to do the tabletop with miniatures, um, and, okay. uh, you know, also the epic success and botch system, which is totally fun. If you, if you roll a six, um, then roll again. If it's another six, you've got an epic success. And uh, you roll a die six again on either our epic attack table, which has six options of what that attack did, or epic defense table, six options. Um, so, you know, you could, it could be a stunning wound, it could be a deadly wound, etc. And um, combat botch is done by, you roll a one, roll again, if it's another one, you've just botched. You might have tossed your weapon, hit yourself, you know, fallen on the ground, etc. And so... Uh, those epic successes and botches bring a, a variable into the combat, so it's not so um, you know it's not a slugfest. Right. Uh, and and we've also designed the tabletop system to be a fairly swift combat. It's pretty lethal, which uh, I like in a tabletop system. I'm, I you know I've I've done thousands of hours playing <laughs> D&D and right. a lot of games over the years where at some point it's like, okay, you know, how long is this slugfest going to go on? Right. I can tell I'm going to beat him, but is it going to take another 20 minutes or an hour? <laughs> you <Right>. know, <laughs> where's the variables, the, the excitement and the difference and the change? And so we've, we've kept this pretty simple. The other question I was going to have was how does, well, let me rephrase this. You have essentially a role-playing summer camp where you have kids come out and you have... Uh, do you pay the GMs, the uh, oh, yeah. counselors? Okay. Yep. We, we hire staff in March. Um, they go through uh, a 60-hour training, and um, we generally have 40, 50, 60 people applying, and we end up hiring... You know, maybe ten people to join our team, or five people to join our team. Wow, that's that's so awesome. We can be pretty selective, yeah. Now, a gaming group can't be that selective. <laughs> um, I would imagine that the caliber of GM or gamer that is applying is already a little bit above the average. And then you throw in the fact that you get um, a pretty selective interview process and sixty hours of training, and I'm not surprised that the kids are getting a fantastic GM running an amazing game every single time. How do you think your system will hold up with a, a new GM or a mediocre GM, something like that, maybe someone who hasn't GM'd in 20 years? Like myself, I was out of the gaming community for a little while. My kids became the right age to start teaching them the the ropes and I got right back into it. Now all of a sudden I'm podcasting about it and I'm about nice. neck deep into it. Nice. But how does your, how does your system hold up with someone who's relatively new to the hobby or just walking back in? Yeah. Um, let me put it this way. Three out of four of the people that we hire for the summer and maybe it's even more like five out of six. Okay. Well, yeah, three out of four I'd say are not, uh, role players. Really? I'm hiring them. Um, and, you know, the whole audition process, uh, basically, I need people who can work well with kids. 
who can resolve conflicts with the kids, who can lead a group in a non-authoritarian way without the power dynamics so that they're, they're creating an emotionally safe space where kids aren't, you know, name-calling and teasing and bullying, a physically safe space because here we are out in the mountains, outdoors, hiking around in the parks and the foothills of Boulder right. um, and sword fighting with these four swords. They've got to be really aware, conscious. And uh, and I hire people who are good storytellers and actors. You know, part of the audition process is a three-hour improv acting audition with me and five um, applicants at once, and we play all these different improv games. So I hire people who are fun, basically lighthearted, you know, they've got a good heart, they've got compassion, they've got, um, you know, good acting skills, and, uh, you know, after that audition process, I do a one-on-one interview where I test their conflict resolution skills by role-playing two really challenging kids that they've got to negotiate with. So that's more my focus. Now, if I can find a gamer who's got those qualities, (laughs) awesome. Well, (laughs) that was the joke I was going to make, is that all of my previous comments blown out of the water because you have broken every stereotype of the game and you're the gamer and you're looking for you're looking for the social (laughs) guy you're looking for the the person who's not reserved let me put it this way dan when i was a teenager i was introverted shy insecure and when when i latched onto D, it was my creative outfit outlet and it got me leading games with people and um you know, it, it was my saving grace as a teenager. I think uh, I think a lot of people's experience mirror that, uh, particularly yeah. particularly if they didn't grow up in the two thousands. Anything yeah. from the nineties and behind, I think a lot of people experienced that as well. Uh, I know I did. Yeah. So you know, it's an amazing opportunity. Like partly the reason I, I mean I loved RPGs. I've loved LARPs since I was introduced to them in the late eighties, but Part of my passion for doing this with kids as a business is I really care about children, and I care about the the whole bully-victim dynamic and about how, you know, these kids are, they're small small beings in a world of grown-ups telling them what to do, here's the rules, go to school, do your homework, clean your room, etc., and kids long for that feeling of, hey, I can be the hero of a quest. Absolutely. And so they come here, they pick up those foam swords, you know, and that's their tool of power. That's that's the symbolic archetype, that sword of, I can be a hero, I can be courageous, I can accomplish this. And they become the heroes in this world as, you know, just like you know, they, they are the ones that are sent out on the adventures by the king and the queen, and they negotiate peace treaties between goblins and dwarves, and they succeed at these amazing missions, and it's so great for the kids' self-esteem. Now, I can so that's see... Really, yeah, that's really why, you know, that's the main reason why I'm doing this, is I, I like seeing the impact on kids. I am a stepfather of four. Mm-hmm. Okay, and they are my gaming group right now. I don't even, I don't game with anyone else at the moment. Uh, my time's kind of been tied up with the podcast and the website and everything. But tabletop gaming with my four kids has been an amazing way to connect with them. I am a stepfather, not a father. They're, you know, there's a dynamic there. Yes. And so when I saw your Kickstarter, I, I caught it a little bit late, and I was really excited to look at it. And uh, I, I knew that we had to get you on the mic because what you're doing is so amazing. Uh, for getting the word out on the hobby, giving kids a creative outlet. I appreciate it personally, and I just want to tell you thank you on behalf of any future gamers <laughs> that you may influence. You're doing a great thing there. Thank you, Dan. Um, I, I really wanted, I know we're kind of backtracking here, but I really wanted to get into this crazy magic system you have going on here. This thing is deep. <laughs> this is... Again, this is the most advanced playtest I think I've ever got my hands on. Um, now, because it's I not gotta, a playtest, right? I gotta say something, Dan. You you're seeing the core game, mm-hmm. but there's a whole nother level that you've not seen, which mm-hmm. is the advanced rules. So, wow. For example, the the wizard path here, um, you know, it's got five core powers that anyone can learn. 
and then you know if you if you put five ranks into any of those five powers in any combination, you know, two ranks here, three ranks there, that opens up the wizard heroic powers, which are another five powers, uh, spells, you know, like elemental battle orb and invisibility, true sight, element craft, phantasmal orb. Um, If you put five ranks into any combination of those, even one rank in all five, that opens up the three wizard paragon powers. But it also opens up the Paragon Paths, which are secret paths. They're in the advanced rule books. And that's the Battle Mage, and they've got three Paragon Powers, the Elementalist, the Artificer, the Magician, the Sorcerer. So there's a whole slew of spells you have not seen yet. And, for example, the Battle Mage, um, if you focus on that and become expert ranked in the Battle Mage, which is three ranks in all three of the spells of the battle mage that opens up the epic path of the warlock so there's a whole there's a whole uh a step-by-step progression that opens it up so the kids that start in the camp they're all they're all just taking powers like a skill-based system you know there's 30 core powers anyone can learn and that's you know five powers of each of the six paths right but then once they start to get into a path um, it opens up into new archetypes and new new powers. Wow, that's um, that's pretty impressive as well. Because again, stuff I'm looking at. <laughs> <laughs> um, now this um, what's going to be in your Kickstarter? Which, by the way, as of the recording here, has completed uh, the first stage. You need yes. some help to get uh, the stretch goals. And what's going to be included in your Kickstarter? Um, what's what's the difference between the book that I have and what you're going to be putting out, other than the tabletop, um, the guide for changing from tabletop to LARP? Um, so the Kickstarter, the main goal is the PDF book that you have, and and we have we do have a bunch of edits. Um, basically, in the last couple of years, based on feedback from our staff and clients, we've made some revisions and shifts. You know, we made a major shift, uh, I guess it would be three years ago with the game, and then we've been playtesting that and tweaking it over these last three years, and so we kind of threw together what's in your hands, we threw together for last summer, Okay. and last summer was the final playtest summer of this game system, so there are a bunch of changes to the book that you've got, and there's typos and grammar and stuff in the book that you've got. So that's the main core book, and a player, you know, could pick that up or a GM could pick that up and lead the quest. And then if they want to go into the more advanced powers and paths, they could certainly do that. So the main thrust of this Kickstarter was to help fund this, this book, uh, the publishing of it, and also to get out there a uh, rough draft of the tabletop conversion so that we can have people playing Adventure Quest as a tabletop because I know in general, RP, you know, gamers are, you know, there's a lot more tabletop gamers out there than LARPers. Yes. And then at, uh, at a certain pledge, they get the PDF of the advanced rules. That's all the secret paths, you know, uh, like what I was saying with the wizard and the right. artisan and um, those powers. And the stretch goals will include further publications. We've got a whole lineup of products here. So, for example, the, those wizard secret paths I mentioned, like the Battle Mage and Elementalist, you know, we're wanting to, to design the Secrets of the Wizard book, which goes more into those Paragon powers and also the Epic paths um, and other secret paths, like you know, one of our islands, the Island of Oasis, is... Uh, inspired by Arabian mythology. And so there's genies and a freak there, and there's certain styles of, uh, uh, ma- there's certain magic paths that deal with the jinn and the freaks. You know, the, the Kickstarter also is offering some quests. You know, we've got a library of, I don't know, 100, 200 adventures that we've written over these 17 years. And um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm, I'm laughing because this is. Um, this is like if D and D were to kickstart D and D right now. <laughs> it's, it's just crazy to me that you have all this material that is playtested and ready to go. And you're the thing, the, the thing is, Dan, and, and this is what's interesting about the 
you know, the, the thing is, we've we've been trying. I've been trying to run a debt-free company for 17 years, and most of our energy has been focused on our local programs, Boulder, Denver, and nearby nearby environments. Here. Right. Our long-range goal is to get enough uh, financial support to license this as a children's youth program that people could um, do all over the country. And we've got our first prototype licensee in Michigan happening as of last summer, and it went great, and he's really excited about his coming summer. Um, but I, So our, our long-term goal is to license it, get it out there, and we've got all this material that we've worked with that, that frankly, we've, we've spent thousands and thousands of dollars developing this. Right. And, you know, the, the Kickstarter was a brand new, you know, we haven't, we just haven't had the time and money to formalize this and get it out to the general public in a way, in a, in a professional quality product. And that's, that's the game book you're looking at is we, it, it looks really awesome. It's professional and it's, it's the first step. And if we can get a fan base for this game, um, then we can start to publish the, the other lines, you know, the other product lines here. Um, but with the Kickstarter, you know, our hope is that we reach some of those stretch goals because that helps fund it. I mean, it's it's a brand new thing to try to do a Kickstarter, and it was a it was a learning experience. And I think if we do one in the future, we're going to do a we're going to we're going to know better how to put the word out. And um, and also, uh, you know, be be uh, um, more realistic about what's the potential here. Well, I've seen some pretty unrealistic Kickstarters. <laughs> <laughs> so good luck with that. <laughs> yeah. Um, you had mentioned um, the entrepreneurial aspect of this. Yeah. Uh, how far? You say you've already got a licensee. If we someone do. else wants to start something in, say, I don't know, outside St. Louis, yeah, how do you go about it? What do you do? You know, we we would definitely work with them and uh, you know get them in on our first step. You know, let's call it a, a play test licensee situation. Right. Ultimately, what we want is um, our product line finished. Uh, our operations manual complete. I mean, basically, we can offer our business model and business coaching and training. Uh, it's one thing to run a um, you know a game with your friends. It's another to actually make that choice to do this as your your living. Right, and have people pay you. <laughs> exactly, and I I've been doing it full time as my living since 1995 and I've got you know several other full-time employees and then in the summer of course we've got you know about 30 staff I'm um, sure that you just made five or ten people quit their jobs <laughs> because you're living the dream there man you're role-playing for a living that's what you're doing well well that's, I'll uh, tell you this I'll tell you this you know uh, this the statistics are one out of uh, five new businesses last five years. And right. out of that one that survived, only one out of those, uh, you know, five that have survived five years, only another one out of five. No, is it one out of five or one out of ten? I think it's, I, I'm forgetting. But at any rate, the statistics of keeping a business alive and well for ten years is, you know, really slim. And we, we're, we've done 17 years, which is great. And, you know, we're successful here in this area. I could definitely use some help in expanding and and uh, getting the licensing program together, but we're we're plugging away at that step by step. And the the real key is how can we give a, somebody who's interested in starting this as a business? How can we give them all of the tips and tricks, all of the marketing materials and um, operations manual, everything that's going to make it such and so much easier than path that we went through here right you know and that's that's our goal is i'd like to be able to be giving this opportunity to other gamers and educators out there and i'd like to give this opportunity to thousands more kids and i think it's i think it's doable and the next step for us um you know we, we want to finish the product line we want to finish our license package and get it out there the step after that is allying with educators and teachers 
and coming up with a, a way to bring this into school systems more into the actual classroom. How do you teach math with some interactive story and learning? Uh, how do you teach history through role playing? And that would be such an exciting, inspiring educational model. That was uh, one of the questions I was going to ask, as you had mentioned, um, trying to use this as an educational tool. Yeah. And I, I'm a gamer. I've got kids. I see a lot of benefits to tabletop gaming and and that whole line of entertainment. I see a lot of benefits for that in education. This one in particular, if you look at the material, you look at the books, and you see the way it's worded and the way it's written, it's it's already targeted toward the age group that you're going to be trying to educate with this. And um, it looks like, I don't remember the name of like the magazines and whatnot, but it's got the little drawings and the cartoons and stuff in there. It looks like the, the little quarterly or monthly magazines you used to get when you were in school. Um, <laughs> and it, it really is pretty appealing. It doesn't look like a textbook, which I think is what a lot of gaming systems have against them with uh, with kids is that it looks like uh, you know their science book or something like that this this is not the case with this i could totally see this being utilized as a way to uh, get kids to discuss alternate histories and maybe to even role play out a specific encounter you know that happened in history or something like that math obviously you know positive and negative integers easy enough um but <laughs> setting goals and so on and so forth uh, for your character, for a group of people, teamwork. I just, it, I could I could see this seamlessly slipping into an education system as well. If you can find the right innovative teacher that's willing to um, utilize it, I could yeah. definitely see. Well, we'd like to ally with, with educators and come out with, um, you know, a guidebook on how to use um, interactive storytelling and role-playing for history classes, a guidebook for math, a guidebook for science, etc., and have trainings and seminars. And probably it would not be this exact game system because we do have a much, much simpler version. Uh, We call it PlayQuest. It's only got four powers per path, um, per of the six core paths, and, um, and a few racial powers. And that's the game system we do with our six, seven, and eight year olds. Um, once you turn eight, that kid, you know, can either go in the play quest camps or the adventure quest camps. And when we go to people's houses and do birthday parties, we need a system that we can teach in 10 minutes and then get out there and play for an hour and a half. Good point. Um, so our, so our birthday party system is the play quest. Really, really simple. You know, give each kid two or three powers. Boom. We're out there playing. Um, when we go to a school or a youth organization, we... I, th- I think for the educational perspective, it may be more um, about interactive storytelling and role-playing without a whole lot of powers, without uh, you know much complexity of a game system itself. However, you're right. Um, you can, uh, you know, for those innovative teachers who actually do want to do uh, role-playing in a more deeper sense with more paths and powers and character um, development, um, there is a program that I, I've spoken with a teacher about that um, has hap- has been led in a few schools in Colorado where it's called uh, Druidon, I believe, Druidon. And that particular program is inspiring kids to write. And when they write and do a good job with their writing skills, their characters gain experience points and powers. And then part of the classroom time is actually questing. Uh, just like a role-playing game. So um, so there is that aspect as well. But the whole educational aspect, you know, we've experimented a little bit with it, but um, we're, we're staying focused on the game, our role-playing game system and the licensing for now um, until we can really get that out there and um, then we're going to uh, then we're going to want to partner with teachers and educators, people who've, who've, uh, who'd like to experiment with this. Neat. Is the... Yeah. Uh... Is there anything else you wanted to cover about the project other than the Kickstarter page and stuff like that? Well, you had mentioned the combat system being simple, and I I spoke a little bit about the tabletop combat system. You know, just real briefly in the LARP combat system, 
uh, unlocked, unlike a lot of LARPs that are being run out there, there's really no hit points and um, you're not doing uh, variable damages. So a lot of LARPs, you've got to track you know, 10, 20, 30, 50 hit points or body points and people are swinging their sword calling out different numbers of damage, you know, three silver, five magic, two, etc. Right. It, gets, it gets pretty complicated out there on the battlefield where really, you know, the excitement and adrenaline of sword fighting uh, makes it a little bit difficult to be doing the math in your head. So, We've kept the LARP combat system totally simple. You get tagged in your arm, your arm is wounded, you cannot use it. You get tagged in the leg, you can't run. You get tagged in the torso, you're knocked out. Um, now there's a few powers that can be used, you know, that dodge ability or block ability. You might be able to learn how to, once per battle, we call it a scene, once per scene or three times per scene or maybe at a maximum five times per scene if you're master and dodge, you can dodge that blow. You know, you get tagged with the swasher sword and you say the word dodge, letting them know, hey, I actually dodge that. Um, so there's a few defensive powers like that, dodge, block, and armor. But, uh, and then there's special combat feats that can bypass armor or bypass a dodge, that kind of a thing. So we try to keep it as simple as possible. You know, we use uh, uh, beanbag type things for throwing spell packets and uh, for archery. But uh, in general, the combat system is pretty, pretty quick and easy and streamlined and exciting. Okay, neat. So that's about it. I would, I'd love to um, connect with people who want to play test the tabletop and give me feedback about that. And, uh, you know, our, our goal, uh, like I said earlier, this Kickstarter was an experiment and it probably uh, cost us uh, between $1,000 and $1,500 just to create the Kickstarter. And we, we had to, we realized, you know, to, to create it and do some promoting of it and whatnot. And we, we realized uh, early on that we had no clue whether it was going to be success or not. So we, we made that first, that goal of $2,000 low enough that we knew we could hit that so that we could at least cover our costs here. But really the stretch goals are what we're hoping to meet for jump-starting our business into this whole licensing and uh, the rest of the product line. But our goal is one way or another, we're going to, we're going to do all of this, whether it's slowly step-by-step step, or creating a, a larger funding through Kickstarter or something similar to that. Now, the Kickstarter page is Advent Adventure Quest Fantasy RPG for Tabletop and LARP. It's on Kickstarter. There will be links in the show notes for the stuff that we've talked about. I'll also have a link to your website, which is renaissanceadventures.com. Is there any other way you can have people reach you, Mark? Yeah, we've got a website, uh, renaissanceadventures.com. Um, you can also email me at Mark Hogue, that's M-A-R-K-H-O-G-E, at gmail.com. And there's emails on our, uh, on our website, of course. And, um, yeah, that's, that's about it, I guess. And uh, I see on the website you put a newsletter out. People can register for that as well. Uh, yeah, okay. yeah, absolutely. And um, we just had a, an interview um, posted up on GameNightReviews.com. So welcome if you... If, I love those guys. Those guys read an interview. Yeah, <laughs> those guys grab my. They'll either it'll be within a week before or after oh, yeah. I get to interview somebody. They've got them, <laughs> and uh, we never ask the same questions. Uh, I really cool. need to connect with these guys. Uh, we haven't uh, we haven't actually formally con uh, communicated, but uh, I think I'm gonna have to do that because they they I have to be interested in the same stuff I'm in. <laughs> All right. So I'll put a link in the show notes for them too. Uh, also for your own personal interest uh there's a podcast out there called the ruthless diastema podcast the gentleman who runs that is actually a teacher who's very interested in using role-playing games as uh teaching tools awesome uh and i'll put a link to that in the show notes as well nice for Thank anyone you. else i mean just kind of the total package there he's um he's uh, been podcasting for a while and he's uh, his stuff centers around teaching and so on and so forth so he may be interested that's in what great. you have to say as well i would love to expect them okay well that's we've supported the game night uh the game night uh interview we supported ruthless diastema we've come to the section apparently where we uh support things mark uh i yeah. like to ask um everybody i interview to support something 
that is not necessarily one of their own projects. Get the word yep. out on something else. What have you got for me today? You know, I know that a lot of tabletop gamers may have never tried a LARP. Okay. And, and maybe for good reason. <laughs> but the, the, the thing I'd like to support are two LARP companies that are across uh, the U.S. They're not us. It's Nero, and, uh, which is, stands for New England Role-Playing Organization. Um, and their website is nerolarp.com, N-E-R-O, larp.com. Okay. And the other uh, LARP company is the International Fantasy Gaming Society. Um, and their website is ifgs.org. And um, the reason why I want to support these guys is they are running uh, adult LARPs all across the country. And for those tabletop gamers who have never tried it, I encourage you to just give it a shot once and see how much fun it is because it's just such blast. And, uh, and if you get excited about it, well, you can always contact me and get a license and do youth programs if that's something you're interested in. <laughs> way, way, way to go there. That's a good one. Um, that's, that's really neat. I'd heard of Nero. I've never heard of IFGS. IFGS, is, they're very different, actually. So Nero, you've got a ton of people in a village environment, and if you want to go out have an adventure, you start heading out in the woods, and maybe you find a, a note on a tree that says, take this to plot, and plot will tell you what you meet, or you know, maybe you'll run into non-player characters, other people dressed up as goblins, or that kind of thing. The IFGS is not quite of an open, rambling game. Now, the Nero, you know, they'll, they'll be sending plot hooks and, uh, and NPCs in toward, to the village and whatnot, um, and so it can get pretty exciting, and uh, it's a, it gives you a lot of freedom of choice and level of engagement. The IFGS is more like a tabletop. It's more like what we do uh, at our kids' LARP. Uh, you've got one GM, so to speak, and a group of players, but they'll also they'll create a whole line adventure where every half hour a new group is heading down this so-called line uh, in a in a park or or wherever, and you know you meet the first NPCs and encounter. Then you go to the second. Then you go to the third. Then you go to the fourth. And it's usually a very well crafted quest. And um, uh, that's one thing I was going to mention about uh, at Renaissance Adventures. We 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 design adventures to have all different kinds of challenges for for the players. You know, moral and ethical dilemmas, and you know, puzzles and riddles, and uh, physical challenges, of course. And um, that's more, you know, you're going to get that with any LARP, hopefully. Um, but we definitely focus on that for for the kids' LARP. And I'm, I'm, from my uh, experience with the IFGS groups, they focus on quite a wide variety of uh, plot as well. So it's more of a condensed, short, uh, focused adventure. And the Nero LARPing experience is more of a free flow uh, and a lot of interplayer exploration and politics and whatnot. All right. Fair enough. Thank you very much. <laughs> You're welcome, Dan. Thank you so much for this opportunity, All and right. um, I'll, I'll keep in touch. Well, th I appreciate that, and uh, please do. Um, before we go, uh, thanks again for joining us. This has been the Carpe GM Gamecast interview series. I'm Dan. I'm here with Mark Hogue. And remember to support your hobby, support the industry, and support your local game store.